Father in heaven, we're so thankful to be in thy house in this day, Lord. We're so grateful for the time that we've been able to spend around thy word already, for the fellowship that we've experienced, for the time we could spend yesterday um, outside enjoying a, a beautiful day and fellowship with our loved ones and, and friends we haven't seen in so long, Lord. It's, it's truly been a blessed blessed time that we've been able to have. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can be gathered around thy word again in this morning and pray that your spirit would speak to us in a way that's needful for our hearts. And Father, there are many, many things on, on all of our minds and concerns in, in our hearts over things here and afar and anything in between. And, and so, Father, we pray that you'd keep, keep our minds and our, our, our thoughts clear to understand and hear your spirit and your word in this day and that we could be taught in a way that's needful for each of us. Again, we're thankful that we have that blessing, thankful that we can be here unmolested from the outside world and to be at peace with thee and with one another as we would look into your, into your word. Again, we're thankful for it and pray that you'd be with those in this day who can't be here, be with the Marcies and, and minister to their needs. Um, for Aunt Hilda and for Aunt Marie and Aunt Lainey, Lord, there, there are many that we're probably not even thinking of at the moment. And just pray that you'd Speak to them and encourage them in their quiet place in this day. We're thankful for these things, Lord, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd ask you to turn with me uh, to the book of Galatians and start in chapter 3. I, I, I have to say I was kind of conflicted this week um, with it being the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I don't know, I guess I'm prone to see those kind of anniversaries or events like that as, as something that, I, I, that usually drives me toward a particular topic. But I, I really didn't come to a piece about anything there. I mean, I, there's a thousand stories and um, uh, memories that... I could share that I thought would drive toward a particular scripture, and really nothing, nothing came and, and really was laid on my heart. And I've continued to be impressed and, and pushed towards going through this study in Galatians. And so I, I'm going to take confidence then that that's where God wants us to go. Um, you'll remember we a couple weeks ago went through the first two chapters. As the Apostle Paul is, is writing his first letter to, to the church in Galatia, and he's, he's pretty hard on them. He starts out right from the get-go and confronts what he sees as backsliding and some hypocrisy that they've re-embraced some of these um, Jewish requirements and, and trying to impose them on themselves and on the rest of the church. And he gives a bit of a history on how he has come to his interpretation of what his gospel message should be and, and explains that you know Peter has had a different opinion and he talks about some of the conflict that he and Peter had. And so the end of chapter 2, um, I want to just start with verse 20 in chapter 2. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come from the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And I know when he wrote this letter, he didn't put chapter breaks in it. 
And we, that's just by the function of how we uh, read the Scripture now that we have these chapter breaks. But in chapter 3, he starts out with them, and we'll, we'll read it all the way through and then kind of dissect it. He starts out with a pretty brash statement of, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? It seems heavy-handed. It seems like he's just doubling down and, and trying to rub their nose in this, in this situation or this issue that he has. But then he goes and, and, and he's going to unpack for them the, the necessity of the law being in place before Christ came, but also how that dovetails with the heritage that they had as the children of Abraham. And so maybe it's just a, that, that is a backdrop for us to, to think about and to look at. Let's read through chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are now made perfect through the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations, of the, shall all the nations be blessed. So then, they which are of faith are blessed with Abraham, with faithful Abraham. For as many as are under the works of the law, excuse me, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come unto the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of man. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereunto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to the seeds, as of many, but of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that the confer and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which was four hundred and thirty years after, cannot disannul, but it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance of the law it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. 
Is the law against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scriptures hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Through the full chapter. This is a, a chapter where there are particular verses that we know really well and that we've pulled out and we, we reference often. Uh, verse 6 that talks about as Abraham believed and was, it was accounted to him for righteousness. We, we take that verse often and, and pull it out and hold on to it. And I think I've done that because sometimes the rest of this, just the way that it's written in the old King's English, becomes a bit of a word salad for me. It's, there's so much going on there that I miss some of the details of what he was trying to explain. But when you look at the context of the whole book, and I, and I guess I want to just explain where my thought process had come or where the, the first conviction to go to Galatians was, was this question about freedom in Christ. And freedom in Christ is, is, a, is a topic that comes out more at the back end of Galatians. And I was trying to... to to put together what Paul's teaching was. How did he get there? Why was that a topic that he was, was referencing for them? And so I started in the beginning of the book, the book and was working my way back through. And as I'm looking at it, recognizing that in order to talk about the end, you've got to build, you have to build a foundation. You have to see why this was a discussion that Paul was having with the, with the church in Galatia. And so the first question, well, what was the conflict? We talked about that last time. We talked about how there was a, a group of believers that were trying to, I don't want to say regress, but reattach themselves to some of the religiosity of, of the, the Jewish law. To go back into the law and to pull out the pieces that they thought would encourage them or would, would make them more identifiable as, as Jews. And when we first talk about it, Paul is very heavy with that, and, and he almost he describes it as them forsaking the grace that they had been saved by and trying to re-enslave themselves into the works of the law. And how those two, we, and I, I think the phrase I use is you can't have steps in, or feet in both kingdoms. You can't be on both sides of that line. But sensitively, I think in chapter 3, he comes to them and, and I. I'm not a scholar in this, in this way, so this is my take on it. So somebody can see me afterwards and we can talk through it. But what I, what I sense here is he's recognizing that this was a traumatic experience. This is a traumatic thing to tell someone who is identified as a Jew that has now become a Christian that you are to forsake all of that that made you 
who you were. And I can see where that would be a hard thing. And he, he references things here and talks about being children of Abraham. Or he brings up Abraham into this discussion and, and points out how Abraham was found righteous. And the sense, and, and we'll go through this verse by verse, but, but what I want you to try to follow or try to sense in, in what he's writing is to explain and bring them through things that would be important to them, to, to acknowledge that you are children of Abraham, that the, the, what's happening here is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham and not a departure from it. And to show how the pieces of what they had grown up with, those things that were fundamental to them as not just religious things, but cultural things, the things that identified them as a people, that as those were being not removed from their lives, but fulfilled in their lives, that this was the fulfillment of a promise that had come even before the law was written. And so, yes, he starts out with, Oh, foolish Galatians. And maybe, I, maybe that sounds harder to me or sounds more pointed uh, when we read it today than, than he meant it. But, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should obey, that she should not obey the truth which you had before seen? Again, kind of reinforcing what he said on the, in, in the beginning. He's pointing out, have you suffered these things? Have, have the experiences that you made been a product of steps of the law, of following rules, or have they been experiences in faith? Just to prod their thought process. Where, where did this come from? Did you do something in your receiving of Christ? Was, was it the product of you following the law so precisely that this indwelling of the Spirit came? He therefore that ministereth unto you the Spirit, the Spirit coming into you, this is kind of flipped around, God that supplies you the Spirit, did he do it and work these miracles by some matters of works of the law, or was it by the hearing of faith? And then here he introduces that famous verse. Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. In, in my life, I definitely have read that verse or remembered that verse as, even as Abraham believed in God, it was appointed to him for righteousness. But it's not what it says. It says that even as Abraham believed God, to say that even as Abraham believed the promise that God gave him, what was the promise? Promise is that, his, that he was going to have a son, that his descendants would be as the sands of the sea. And it says Abraham believed God, and that belief and trust in the word of God was appointed unto Abraham as righteousness. That sounds like a simple statement, not that big of a deal. But if we think about what that means, that means that he... The trust that Abraham had in God's word, the faith that, God, that Abraham had in God doing what he said was appointed to him as righteousness. In the same way that God gives us his righteousness, in our trust and belief and faith in him and in the redeeming work that he's done on the cross and in now indwelled in our lives, that, those are on parallel, parallel planes. And I don't think I ever put that together as powerfully. Because when you're talking to these Jews, this was before the law. Moses hadn't written anything down yet. And they identify as children of Abraham. And so Paul is entering this discussion here now to say that, you know, before the law, before any of those things that were brought about, Abraham's righteousness was appointed him because he believed God. Well, what did he believe? Then we start unpacking some of the more 
jumbled up descriptions here. It says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Before anything else was written, before any of the law was given, before Christ came, God told Abraham, in you will all of the nations of the world be blessed. Now, for generations, the Jews had looked at that and thought, well, that would just mean that we as the Jewish people are going to be a blessing to the world, right? That the descendants of Abraham would just certainly be a blessing to the world. Well, as we unpack it now, we we can see that what he's actually pointing out is that this seed of Abraham, this blessing of Abraham, this trust that Abraham had is the blessing that would confer. And we'll, we'll keep going. For as many as are under the works of the law, they are under a curse, for it is written, and this is where he starts to reference back in Leviticus, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But there is no man justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not the faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So he has to explain to them. He's got to explain why the law was insufficient to save, and what, but why it was still necessary. And these first verses, he starts to break down for them. He says, you know, it's written in the law that in order to be justified by the law, you have to do every single piece of it. But we know that we can't do every single piece of it. And it says that you're cursed if you can't do every piece of it. So right off the bat, pointing out that the law was not sufficient to save. It wasn't going to be there to bring one to Christ or or to redeem one. And because of that, it had to have an atonement piece built into it where there were sacrifices that were made for the inability to not serve sin. And so as he's trying to explain this and break this down, he says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. That the blessing of Abraham, that blessing, that promise that he spoke of in verse 6, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of this it's, it's, it's hard for me to even to, to put into words what this must have been like for them. We understand. We understand that Christ's, Christ's death and resurrection was the gift of God for salvation to us. But if you lived your entire life thinking that, that it was a necessity for you to follow these rules to the letter of the law and do it so specifically, and that's how you would find justification before God. And then somebody comes in and says, listen, that's not what it's about. What, what God meant when he said to Abraham that in you will all the nations of the earth be blessed and that your seed would multiply, what he meant was that he was sending his son to be the fulfillment for all of that. I don't know how I... I I can only imagine how that, would shake, how that would shake me. I can only imagine how difficult that would be for them to put together. And so I admire how the Apostle Paul is trying to break this down for them, trying to get them to understand. And I'm going to jump a little bit here for a second. The natural question that they would come to then is, well, what, what's the point of the law? What was the deal with it? Why was it necessary? Why, why would it even be there? Well, some of the verses that kind of help us understand that 
is he first talks about how for 430 years um, the law existed, but the scripture concluded all under sin that the promise of, oh, that's not where I wanted to go. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which have, could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But before faith came, I'm skipping one verse, we were kept under the law, shut up under, unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after the faith had come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The one phrase that came that I found in one other translation said, protective custody. That the law was protective custody before Christ came. And that gave me, the schoolmaster was the word that we use and we, we see it here. I know why we use it. But schoolmaster, I took as like a taskmaster. It, it whipped me into shape. But protective custody was another phrase that really struck me. Because if the law was, in, if the law was inadequate to save, excuse me, it, the law was not inadequate to save, kept perfectly, you could be found righteous by following the law. But because no one could keep it perfectly, it was, it was impossible to be saved. But what it did was describe to us the extent of sin that exists in the world by pointing out the, the life that needed to be lived to be found righteous before God. It revealed the sin nature in this world and gave a pathway and gave a, a, a set of instruction. It was an instruction manual, perhaps, to lead the Jews, to lead us, to lead all that can read it today toward holy living and to understand what God's expectation was. But then also to recognize when Christ came, that it was not just the abolishment of that, not just the uh, removal of that, but to show that it was the fulfillment. For you're, But after that faith come, there's no longer under the schoolmaster, for you're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. As a Jew, now being told that you don't have to follow all of these rules, you don't have to um, identify, basically, maybe that's the, the biggest one, was that you're no longer identifying with the thing that made you special. You're no longer identifying with that thing that made you different and set apart from everyone else in the world. And the Apostle Paul is coming back to him to say here, what we didn't realize, what you didn't realize before your relationship with Christ is that in order to truly be a child of Abraham, in, truly, in order to really truly be the seed of Abraham, you have to be a child of faith. You can't be a child of the law. You can't regress back into the old religiosity of Judaism and still claim to be a child of Abraham. In order to truly fulfill the promise that Abraham received, you have to be a child of faith and of grace. 
And I sense in the way that he's writing this and, and, and trying to bring this, this about for them and, and walk them through this is that if you, in departing that, this whole reason that we got started here, I marvel that so soon after, so soon, that you are so soon removed from the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The reason that he was calling them and, and trying to shake them back up is to recognize you had this all fulfilled. That which you were seeking after, that to be the perfect seed of Abraham, the, the perfect fulfillment of that promise. You had done it. You had lived it. You were, you were on the right path. And now for some reason, because you were more comfortable there, because that's what we just knew and we wanted to regress back to it, you've started to, to depart from that faith, and by that grace through faith, and stepped back into works and trying to put on something that doesn't need to be there. To re-enslave, I guess as we were talking about it last week, to re-enslave yourself to a nature that was unfulfilling and was going to be incomplete. And so he, he almost is trying to build, again, we're on this path, he's on this path to, to get to his topic with them about um, standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's the beginning of chapter 5. It feels so strange to even as we're, as we're in our day and age today, in our society and in our culture today, it feels so strange to dissect a scripture that speaks about making things more difficult on yourself, about adding works to your life or adding rules to your life. I guess that's the way I should say it. When is the last time that you heard somebody um, proclaiming a message or, or trying to market, uh, market something that was putting restrictions on yourself, putting more restrictions on yourself? We live in a society now, now where everything is relative. Your truth is your own truth. Your whatever. Literally, your, your reality is your reality and don't let anybody else question it. And yet, here is a scenario where the Apostle Paul is trying to convince and to teach and to lead these folks out of a mindset where they were trying to do the complete opposite, where they were trying to put more restrictions on themselves and restrictions that would then enslave them. And so maybe that's why it's hard for us to, to look at and, and maybe to understand. Or for me, it's, it's hard to see the necessity of this. But then, look at our lives. Look at our lives at the complications that we've, we've added to them at different times. The necessities that we have of, of keeping up with the Joneses, making sure that we can be reached at any given time, that we can um, look the way that we want, that we can speak the way that we would want the rest of the world to see us, to fit in. The constraints that the Jews were putting on themselves or that these Jewish Christians, this church in Galatia, was putting on themselves was something that they knew. It was comfortable for them to go back where they were and, and to do what they had done before and didn't recognize that the freedom that they had in Christ was going to be something that was a little uncomfortable at times because it was being led by the Spirit. The Spirit was directing them in a path that they may not know where it's supposed to go next. It was easy for them to say, 
the circumcision was one piece of it, but I promised there had to be other things that they were trying to do. It was easy to know that on the next whatever week there was going to be this um, celebration, and then there was going to be that rule that you followed on that celebration, and then there's going to be the, the feast of whatever. The, the, the things that they knew so well were the comfortable things that they would retreat to, but didn't recognize that in retreating back to that way of worshiping God removed the faith that they had to have in him. Some of the verses at the front end talk about how there's no faith in following. It's um, verse 5. He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he do it by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It seems like a simple question that we all should be asking ourselves often is, the salvation that we experience, did it come by works or did it come by faith? The peace of God that I experienced, did it come by works or did it come by faith? So then when I'm trying to take the next path, step in the path of life that the Lord lays on my heart, am I doing it as a product of following works of my own or expectations or ideas that I generate on my own? That this is the next thing I'm supposed to do. I'm 37 years old, going to be 38. What's the next step that I'm supposed to have in my life? What's the next piece that I'm supposed to build in this puzzle? Or am I in faith asking God, what is the next step in this puzzle? Peace in this puzzle. Step in the road. Whatever. My analogies are all jumbled up today. Do I live my life as, just as he's experiencing here, as faith in the Spirit? Do I believe in God or do I believe God? This book is full of promises. I mean, that's the other takeaway that I want us to have for today. Abraham believed God's promise and it was appointed to him for righteousness. If he would have just believed in God, there would, there would have been no result there. Everybody, everybody believes in God. It says that the devils believe in God and they tremble. But if I believe the word of God, if I take every piece of it as his truth and his roadmap for my life, his guidebook for my life, and act in faith according to those steps and, and, and live my life that way, if I live my life believing God's promises at every moment, what would that look like? I think we know what it looks like because it, there are times, and as I think we even said last time, there are waves and um, mountains and valleys in our lives where we see, see our path a bit clearer. Maybe this is where the 9-11 stuff comes in. 20 years ago, September 12th, 20 years ago today, was one of the most beautiful days as an American that I, I've ever experienced. I got 38 years. Because it didn't matter who anybody was. Every, every place you went, there was a flag out front. It was every store you went into, there was unity. There was um, shared pain, shared joy. But it was unity like I don't think we've ever experienced. Maybe, it was, maybe that's what it was like after World War II or, or whenever. But September 12th, 20 years ago, was a special day for us as a nation because there was, so, there was such clarity of who we were. The day that we felt peace with God, there was such clarity in who we are as a believer and who he was as our father. 
But even as years pass and, and time passes and things happen to us and, and we meander this path, we forget some of those things. We forget some of the, the stories. We forget some of the images. We forget some of the experiences that we've made with God and some of the ones that we saw in, in the world around us. And so we get busy with other things, and, and so then we just cling quickly to, well, the, this made me, this is the thing that I did as a, as a, believe, a young believer, and, and I'm going to just do that for a little while. But I'm acting and not living in faith. And then we have to have, we have to wait 20 years to have another moment. I mean, my wife's probably, I don't think she's tired of this, but I am that guy that on September 11th every year, I go down the rabbit hole of, the YouTube videos and, and the memorials and the tributes and all that stuff. I don't know. I, I always get way down deep in it. And I knew that this year was going to be harder than the rest. And I was sitting up last night reading stuff again and, and having to think, how in the world did we get 20 years and we still, I feel like we forget. And then I look in Scripture here about living a life in faith and, and appreciating the promises that God has made to me and the fulfilling of the promises that God has done in my life and how quickly I forget. How quickly things, it's not as special as it needs to be. It's not as precious as it needs to be. And I've taken it for granted. I don't know why I've taken it for granted. I do. Because life is good. And things are good. And when one little thing goes out of whack, now in my life I go off the handles, or off the rails because I don't recognize how good I have it. And so, perhaps that's why this, this chapter that's hard to read, just physically, has to sit in the middle of this book to, to push us back, to push me back to a place to recognize that the blessing that we have to be children of God, to be grafted into the vine, to be not, um, not second-class Christians or second-class um, sons and daughters of Abraham was purely because of a promise and purely because of God's love. Not of anything that we've done, just like they couldn't do it by exercising in the law, I couldn't do it by changing my life to look like the model of what I thought God wanted it to be. And because I experienced that years and years ago, I need to remember that I need to continue to try to, ex not continue to try, to continue to experience that gratitude, that love, and that faith in grace every moment of every day. Because if I don't, I will run the risk. And that's not even a risk. He's telling us that this is going to happen. If I don't remain incredibly aware and vigilant and intentional, that was the word I was looking at for, intentional about that pursuit, I'm going to find myself re-enslaving it, re-enslaving myself to actions and habits and intents that will draw me away from that faith. So perhaps, rather than having to have memorials and, and reminders on anniversaries or something like that, we can find things in our lives that will be, uh, be the times that will be redirecting for us. Maybe that's in your devotions in the morning or the night or however, however you do it. But find opportunity to, to thank God for our helpless state. 
I think that's perhaps most of all the, the thing that I was left with as I was looking here the last couple of days. My walk with God is empowering, but it's because I'm helpless. We don't bring anything to the table. We don't bring anything to the table other than our willingness to serve our Heavenly Father. And through that, He empowers us and gives us the strength and the Spirit to do things that we never thought we could do, to be used in ways that we never thought we could be used. And so as we seek in the days to come and, and, and look for we were talking about confidence and overconfidence this morning in Bible class. As we seek opportunities and ways to be used, let's give the Lord opportunity to, to put us in places that we wouldn't be otherwise, that we're going to be uncomfortable, but that we can be used and fulfilled in a way that we haven't before.